Hey everybody, C-Note here, and welcome to Dopamine, and welcome to 2020. Welcome to the new show, which is just slightly different, changed, uh, slightly different format. Um, today, we're going to be talking about anxiety and control uh, in relation to thinking about thoughts, emotions, and behavior. And typically, we think about those three things, thoughts, emotions, and behavior, as something that we have to tackle in a particular order. And in a lot of ways we do, but what tends to happen is accidentally tackling those things in the completely wrong order. And uh, therapy is pretty useful for recalibrating that. But there are some things on this episode that I think can help you start to do that a little bit more on your own day in and day out. So with that being said, welcome to 2020. I've had some time to think about things. There's a lot of ideas coming. And uh, so let's hit the button and do the thing. Let's go. Drums, all right welcome back to dopamine hope you guys are doing well hope you had a good new year hope your holidays were well i hope everything's going okay with you i know the world is kind of a crazy place i know there are a lot of things happening in the news uh in personal lives in your head and there can be a lot of challenges when it comes to facing your own mental health in regards to like being productive, being a creative person, and just wanting to put things out there. It is often very difficult, and we are met with a ton of anxieties and challenges and questions. Essentially, that's the way I look at anxiety. Anxiety is a series of questions to kind of determine what's going to happen, or trying to predict what's going to happen so that we can have a complete sense of control of what's coming. And that control aspect of anxiety is the sort of prevailing and common aspect that I've seen in relation to anxiety, control of what's going to happen, having some sense of control or feeling like you're in control, whether or not you are actually in control. It's sort of the perpetuation and uh, sort of taking that feeling of looking into a dark alleyway and you don't know what's in there and extrapolating that and putting it into other areas of our lives, whether that's like, I've got a meeting to go to, I don't know what's coming, or I have some sense of, I know what's coming, but I can't necessarily control the reaction of the people in the room. What are people going to think of me? What are they going to think of my presentation? What are they going to think of the way that I look? What are they going to think of the way that I sound? Is what I'm going to say resonate with them? Are they going to accept the pitch? Or are they going to laugh me out of the room? You know, And much of the time, what we end up having to do is actually going forward into the thing that we're scared of. It's a sense of exposure therapy in a sense, and we'll kind of go back and cover that in a second. But I first want to talk about the idea of thoughts and emotions, because essentially it starts with a thought and a thought is not something that we have control over happening. Like if I tell you to think about an octopus, you can't help but think about an octopus. It's just going to appear in your mind and you can't control that it's there. It was put in there by something else by me in this instance. 
And oftentimes, thoughts sort of come and go based on the things that we are exposed to in our environment, whether that's, you know, things that we see on Twitter or Facebook or things that we experience in our lives every single day. Someone even mentions something that sort of reminds you of something. Someone mentions Hamlet, you think of a skull. Or someone mentions uh, Cthulhu and you think of an octopus. Or you think of uh, a, someone talks about a giant pink elephant and you can't help but visualize it. There's, uh, There could be an active resistance in your mind to try to not think of it, but that's going to cause stress because you soon realize that you can't make your mind not think of it. That's the biggest part of anxiety, that by trying to make something go away, we tend to make it worse. So the elephant will become bigger and pinker <laughs> and uh, become more prevailing and in your face and you can't make it go away. The harder you try, the more that you're going to feel this sense of anxiety. And people define anxiety, I probably should have done this first, but a, a lot of psychologists and, and um, physicians identify anxiety as a physical feeling in your chest, this like kind of pinching, clenching feeling. And it's different for everybody. There's a variety of symptoms and reactions based on your body's own sort of temperature, as it were, figuratively. And, you know, your energy is going to change based on the anxiety that you're experiencing. And if you're going to be actively trying to not think about the elephant, then your anxiety, that feeling is only going to clench further. It's the same feeling that if somebody was pointing a weapon at your head and asking you to not think of this pink elephant you're not you're going to freak out about the idea of i need to not think about this pink elephant because this weapon's in my face and this weapon in my face is making me feel threatened so i have to stop thinking about this elephant but i can't stop thinking about this elephant because i'm thinking about not thinking about this elephant <laughs> and it's the equivalent of putting pressure on yourself to not do something and that is essentially the persistence of anxiety and it happens with emotional experiences as well. Emotionally feeling this sense within yourself that you have to make this stop. You have to make this emotion stop. Whatever you're feeling in relation to this anxiety. So there's the thought of the pink elephant. But if the pink elephant is tied to some sort of past issue in your life, something that you're feeling terrible about something that is traumatic and is essentially leading you to to feel these physical uncomfortable feelings and i stress uncomfortable because we assign the word pain to it when really it's mostly uncomfortable um, this feeling of discomfort is something we just don't want it's often distracting it's uh making us you know do things that we wouldn't normally do uh, it's it's ruminating our thoughts. It's making us stalled and not doing anything. And I think that is part of the issue of anxiety is that anxiety is trying to tell you that. And anxiety is trying to tell you that this is something you need to face because otherwise it's going to stay within us and it's going to impede all of the things in our lives that we need to approach. So when it comes to the emotional experience or to being, uh, to working through your thoughts, 
I personally feel like the only way out is through. And uh, it's a lot of the same things that we talk about with, um, I had an episode with Linda Green about uh, PTSD. And PTSD, through a lot of books that I've read uh, as well, uh, there are a lot of authors and people who speak about PTSD and say that some of the best ways to work through PTSD is some form of exposure. Some of the symptoms of PTSD is that these sort of traumatic experiences come at you out of nowhere. And that's typically because we're not trying to face those things in our day-to-day lives. The the trauma, the difficulties, this, the difficult emotions. And I'm not trying to cheapen PTSD. PTSD is a very serious thing uh, that requires a lot of um, a lot of work with a therapist, with coaching, uh, with with anyone that's going to give you some sort of actually helpful guidance. Because while I speak in a way that makes it sound like I've got it sort of figured out, that it's like easy and you should be able to flip a switch and do it no problem. The real main thought here is that it takes time. It takes intention. So listening to your body, listening to your thoughts and not trying to control them, trying to control them is what continues to make the anxiety prevalent. It's what is allowing this anxiety to stay in your body and to stay in your mind because you're not facing the thing that you need to face. Now, I talked at the top of the show about thoughts, emotions, and behaviors, and behaviors are really the key to all of this because behaviors are what we do as a result of our thoughts or feelings. And what I think a lot of people with anxiety tend to do, and I've experienced plenty myself, I don't have clinical persistent anxiety, but I have experienced an anxiousness when it comes to a fear in relation to some sort of performance or going in a social situation or, or you know, having to uh, express or do something uncomfortable. Uh, the experience that I've had with anxiety is that uh, when I want to acknowledge that I have to go to this thing, I end up telling myself that I have to be ready to face it. And being ready often means that I need to be clear-headed or that I'm not experiencing an emotional whatever. And there's this sense that actually links to a lot of INTPs and INTJs of this idea of feeling like you need to be ready to take on the world. Uh, I'd say INFPs also experience this, and probably some ISFPs as well, is that it's easy to make an assumption about what you're going to experience. It's easy to assume that what you're going to go towards is like going to make you feel bad, or that it's going to uh, even might even make you feel good, and you just like don't even need to experience it because you're like, I know what that's like already. Like I don't need to do that. Um, but for mostly it's about some sense of fear that there's this fear of the experience that I, I know my work sucks. I'm going to get laughed at or no one's going to like it. No one's going to appreciate it. I'm not ready. I didn't practice enough, etc. And it's just not going to work out. And 
what those are is exactly that, assumptions. A lot of anxiety is also assumptions. Uh, And assumptions are one of the four agreements that I basically follow, like my own personal Bible, basically, is uh, don't make assumptions is one of the four agreements. And the reason that you don't make assumptions is because you sort of attach an idealism to what the situation you're about to enter is going to look like. So attaching your idealism to a situation means that the window for enjoyment is super narrow. And if you're defining the window of enjoyment for this thing as being super narrow, then you're going to miss the mark most of the time. And it's sort of this self-fulfilling prophecy that if you're allowing these assumptions and intense anxieties of trying to control the experience to be the prevailing thought of these, you know, the experiences that you end up going into that you'll miss the mark of actually enjoying the experience and therefore kind of continue the loop of saying like, see, I told you that was going to be terrible. And that is not a helpful loop to get into. So that all leads to behaviors and behaviors means changing what you do in relation to what you have to experience. What I mean is that if you have a meeting and you're anxious about the meeting, that all you really need to do is get into the habit of going to the meeting. Or if you need to go experience something new, that understand that in your mind, that most of the time, you're going to have a good experience. And at minimum, you're going to have a learning experience. And what you're, you're experiencing in your mind or in your body is rarely ever matching up to reality. And even if it does, that's a calibration moment. You know, what's in your mind and what's in reality are two very different things. And they are rarely ever going to match up one-to-one in total completion. So you have to allow yourself the opportunity to experience reality and not try to control the experience. Again, trying to control the experience and approaching it from a trying to control my thoughts or feelings first is only going to further enhance and strengthen the anxiety that you're going to experience going into a situation. If you change your behaviors first and get into a habit of just getting the thing done or going for it or being willing to expose yourself to the idea and with a therapist, you know, they kind of help you do that over time, especially for big challenging anxieties. Again, I'm not trying to diminish the severity of anxiety and the difficulties there. The idea is that if you work with a therapist over time, they will help you with exposure therapy and help you be able to start to mold your habits and behaviors so that you can go forth into things and not focus on the thoughts and feelings so much. Because the thoughts and feelings are not the reality of the situation. Their thoughts and feelings are just what's in your head. So I'm going to real quick, I have this article pulled up about this topic, and I just kind of want to reference the end of it here. Let me see. Oh, I don't exactly have it pulled up, but I'm going to keep talking. While I do this, I want to remind you that we have a Patreon page. So what I'm sort of focused on these days is I want to support the Patreon because I want I want to be able to do this show more often. Um, I used to do daily episodes. That would be fantastic. I would love to do that again. 
I used to do um, much more, many more YouTube videos. Uh, and I have plenty of ideas for things that I want to produce, people I want to go see and talk to. And um, I want to create videos, specifically like mini documentaries or vignettes, uh, around featuring different artists and creatives who are experiencing mental challenges and using healthful, health, healthy, healthy ways, <laughs> healthy ways to express their mental illness, uh, and, and using it as a strength essentially in a lot of ways. Um, so your contribution to the Patreon would be a massive help to that. Uh, the Patreon includes like uh, ad free episodes. Um, we're going to do exclusive audio segments, uh, things that I'm thinking about sort of behind the scenes stuff access to our Facebook group and uh, community. And uh, if certain tiers, you can get a shout out on the podcast. Uh, I will, you know, if you have a business, I can, you know, call out your business as well uh, and things like that. So it would be really amazing for you to support. It's as little as $1. So if you really, really like this episode and the show, I would really appreciate your support. Your support goes towards furthering and enhancing the quality of the show and of dopamine as I try to continue to expand this business essentially into 2020. So I appreciate your support there. Patreon.com slash dopamine. So this article is on psychology today. I reference them a lot. I think they do a great job using actual real therapists to talk about uh, issues and this article is basically the uh, the impetus for this episode, so I'll link it in the bottom of the episode. And it's called The Three Parts of Anxiety, Thoughts, Emotions, and Behaviors. And at the end here, of I'll just kind of read the last few, uh, the, the kind of the closing thoughts here. So, um, anxious behaviors. Let's see, where's the, the, the... Okay. So we'll talk about anxious behaviors and kind of wrap this up. So the last piece of the puzzle is behavior, our actions, what we do. When you are anxious, you probably behave in ways that help you avoid triggers for your anxiety. And by avoiding social functions, if you are afraid of what other people think of you, uh, with behaviors, it is fairly obvious we do have control over our behavior. Behavior is the one and only thing in life that we actually have control over. For instance, in the above example, even if you are anxious about going to a party, you do control whether or not you go to the party. You can choose to go or not to go. To go, You control that. Now what to do is so you have control over your anxious behavior, but not your anxious thoughts or the feeling of anxiety itself. However, I'm guessing that if you're struggling with anxiety and reading this article, you probably spent quite a bit of time trying to control your anxious thoughts and feelings. The thing to do instead of to practice acceptance uh, is to practice acceptance. Allow the anxious thoughts in to be there exactly as they are give up on trying to control them because they will be there either way you can't control them allow the anxious feelings to be there exactly as they are too give up on trying to control them again because they are uh, they will be there either way you can't control them and instead of focus on changing your anxious behavior if you're anxious about going to a party go to the party this is the basis of what works for making anxiety better to, in the long run anyway, which is facing your fears through exposure for therapy. But when clients start therapy, I he notices, the writer notices, they typically have a misconception about the order in which things change. 
most clients think that if they could change their negative thoughts to more to be more positive, they could feel better, and then they'd be able to do the things that, that the anxiety stops them from doing. In other words, they think the order of change is thoughts change first, then emotions, then behaviors. But unfortunately, because they can't control anxious thoughts or anxious feelings, they get stuck in those first two steps and never actually get to the things that they wish they were doing. In reality, the order of change is the opposite. Behavior has to change first. And if you do that, emotions change, and then thoughts change in the long run. So if you simply don't start doing the things you think you can't do because of anxiety, your brain eventually learns that those things are not dangerous, and the feelings of anxiety naturally decrease over time. When that happens, the anxious thoughts also naturally decrease over time. But this only happens by taking different actions first. Oh no, did it stop recording? No, we're still good. Okay. <laughs> it was, I was concerned there. Um, so instead of beating your head against the wall, trying to change something that you can't control, try going and doing the things you wish you could do now and see what happens. By facing your fears and taking different action, your life will open up. You will gain freedom and you won't be wasting your time anymore trying to change things you have no control over. And that's exactly why this, now I'm done reading. That's exactly why this episode is all about anxiety and control, because it's about the misconception that we have any control over our emotions or our thoughts. And I know that's a very popular sort of prevailing psychological process to, whether it's like stoicism or even like some masculine texts talk about sort of pushing your emotions down, not dealing with that stuff, right? And it's impossible to push your emotions push your emotions down. It's like it's like trying to push a balloon down or push down a floaty in in the pool. It's going to pop back up. And there's no pushing down. You have to work through it. You have to allow yourself to change your behavior, to control your behavior, to make the choice to go to the party. And then let your thoughts and feelings be your thoughts and feelings actually about that party. That doesn't mean that if you go to the party and it's a bad experience that you have to go do it again. But if you've never been to that party, to that place or to that person's house, then any thoughts or feelings that you have around going to that house that you've never had before are not exactly valid in terms of determining your behavior. They're valid to have, and they're valid in the sense of feeling it and being it and experiencing it. Like, this is what I'm thinking about this. Like, I do think this party is going to be a little weird. Maybe there's going to be, um, you know, maybe there's not enough food or something, and maybe I should eat before I go. Or there's going to be someone that I, possibly someone there that I think is going to make me uncomfortable. Um, you know, but let me go face it and see what it actually is. And I, I kind of had the same feeling around traveling across the country, which I've done twice. I left my home in Philly when I was 25, and I just kind of decided to go. I think I had enough situations in my life that kind of pushed me to leave, but it would have been very easy for me to be anxious about the idea of, I don't have enough money, I don't have enough time, I don't have enough this, enough that, I'm not ready... Uh, but I just went, I packed up my car, I saved some money, I, I planned, I wasn't stupid about it, it's not about being impulsive, but it's about knowing that 
I made the choice and I can choose to go forth into the unknown and really allow myself to test myself, essentially. You know, if fear also can seem to be, fear linked to anxiety can also seem to be linked to these feelings that maybe you're not feeling equipped to handle it. And if you're not feeling equipped to handle it, that is an also, also an opportunity for reality to prove you wrong. Often we are way more capable than we think. Uh, Molly tells me stories about giving birth to her two kids and the physical feeling of power that she felt and realizing that like she didn't know her body was capable of doing that and feeling like she just is this super powerful force. There are people who are pushing their bodies all the time physically in terms of exercise. There are people who push their mental capacities all the time by performing at high levels, uh, by pushing themselves a little bit more to do interesting new creative work to go into uncomfortable spaces, to try something that they don't think they're capable of, and then finding out that over time they develop the skills to be able to do that. And essentially, if you're allowing yourself to try to control your thoughts and emotions, to allow anxiety to be persistent in your life, that you're essentially robbing yourself of the opportunity to grow, to test yourself, to feel that you're capable to actually experience whether or not you're capable. Because if you do go try something and you're not yet skilled at it, that's information that allows your thoughts to calibrate to the idea that, okay, I actually wasn't ready for this. And now I know what I need to learn, to focus on, to calibrate so that I can actually go forward and do better next time. And it's the same thing with your emotional experiences. You know, there have been so many times in my life where I've had the opportunity to uh, to work through emotional challenges with, you know, ex-girlfriends. Uh, and I never thought I would be capable of surviving those conversations. Uh, emotions are particularly difficult for me, emotional conversations. Uh, and there were plenty of times, even with Molly, uh, where we've had some emotional challenges that we've had to work through where we're both kind of going through ego growth moments and sort of coming at each other where we're just kind of totally just at each other. And I just feel like I, I say at each other, we're not like fighting, but we're not like yelling and stuff, but there's just a lot of dancing going on, emotional dancing going on. And I'm, I personally feel this feeling of like, this is never going to end. Like if I, if I try to think too far ahead and I'm not in the moment, I think like this emotional experience is never going to end and we're not going to get better. And this is freaking me out. And usually the only way that things do end up getting better is actually saying what I need to say by expressing what my emotions actually are, not what they should be, not what they need to be to make the relationship better, uh, not what I want them to be, but what they actually are. You know, like expressing like, I don't feel like I'm being listened to, or I don't feel like you're considering this, or I feel like I'm, you know, I feel like my heart is like tense and I feel stressed out 
and, and, you know, stuff like that. Just expressing and listening to what is. It's sort of like the same thing you think about when it comes to criticizing a movie or an article before you even read it. Like, does it make sense to criticize something before you experience it? Uh, you know, think about that in terms of entertainment. I know a lot of people who, uh, who I know this. So we have a friend of ours who was telling us that he was like, I, I, I heard the movie was bad in reference to like Star Wars or something. And uh, I, I was thinking like, okay, why does that matter? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen it yet. And he was like, I, oh, I haven't seen it. I don't know. I'm just not, that's not my opinion. I'm like, okay, then why does that matter yet? You know, that's, uh, uh, you're letting, basically you're letting something that isn't the actual feeling that you're experiencing dictate the experience. So it, it's just like kind of fascinating to me to not only think about that for your own control and thoughts and anxieties, but externally as well with other people sort of telling you um, what you should think or feel about something. And the actuality of the experience is the most important thing, is really the point of all of this, is that if there's anything that you can control, it's the behavior of making the choices that you can make. Because you can choose to do something or choose to not do something. You can choose to let your thoughts and emotions dictate what you do, which is typically not going to go in the right direction. Or you can make the behavior change, go try the thing that you need to try, face the fear, learn the actuality of it, which could be positive or negative. I'm not saying it's going to work out. But it could be a negative thing. But now you know for sure. And it's not an assumption. It's not based on some sort of false reality. It's based on a reality. And now you have data to back it up. Emotional or thoughtful data to back it up. And you know for sure. You've experienced it. You've been in it. You were there. And I know a lot of people are really great at actually predicting things. You know, I think, I think one of the challenges too... And I'll try to wrap it up based on kind of this this sort of final thought uh, is one of the challenges is that humans, we tend to feel like we're good mind readers or we're good at predicting the future because we can sometimes do it in short bursts or in very controlled environments. So if somebody is very good at controlling their own behaviors and they put themselves in situations where they don't have as much outside influence, they can predict what's going to happen up to five years because they're very much in control of the situation. And there are people who are also being able to predict some social behaviors because usually when someone's in their energy sphere, in person usually, you can kind of read someone's social cues and their behavior and the way that they're moving their body and the way that they're speaking and be able to put all of those pieces together and properly predict where the conversation's going or where or what someone's feeling or thinking. You still have to confirm it with them. But usually when you confirm it, you're like, okay, I was right about that. And we are right enough about things in such controlled environments that we sort of prematurely expand that feeling of rightness to more things than we need to or more things that we can, and we kind of skip the verification process after a while. 
we sort of assume that like I was I was right those three times, so that means that I'm going to be right in a very similar scenario every single time. And truth is, patterns are not always that simple. While it's true that three makes a pattern, you have to consider how controlled the environment is. So if you make uh, deductions about a pattern about people's behavior, you have to understand that every single person is different in some capacity or another, whether that's personality type, whether that's their experiences, whether that's their skill sets, whether that's their emotional intelligence or their, uh, you know, in actual intelligence, their thoughtful intelligence, they're going to be a, an array of different experiences that you need to consider when, you know, you're, you're making that assumption about someone. So regardless of whether or not you feel confident in your rightness, it is still important to verify it is important to realize that you need to go forth into this uncomfortable space because even checking that your prediction is correct with an emotional interchange or with data, checking that it's correct is sometimes an emotionally scary situation because you could be wrong. And if you are wrong, that's an ego hit and that sometimes hurts and that can be a psychological challenge. But knowing that what you're ultimately trying to get out of the situation is actual data of what the experience is like and confirmation, whether you were right or wrong, it's about calibrating so that in the future, you might be more right more often and make better choices and go to better parties and go to better art exhibits or go and do better work or pick better clients. If you're not willing to expose yourself to the things that you're afraid of, then you are not going to calibrate and be stronger to actually face the difficult things or to be able to navigate life and make better choices so that you are not going to come against negative challenges in the future. All right, I want to thank you guys for listening to the show. I really appreciate you guys. Again, the, the format slightly changed. I think I wanted to protect my own flow state, so I just wanted to talk for a while. So I kind of moved where the ads are. Um, I'm going to be doing these episodes on my phone for a little while because I need to kind of rebuild the habit. That means that I need to remove some of the barriers. That means like sitting at my desk and setting it up and doing all of this stuff like it's just kind of too much of a process right now if I can record on my phone and the quality is good quantity is always a little bit more important than quality for me so I'm just doing this for a little while so hopefully that's okay with you uh, I appreciate you for listening to this episode I want to thank Molly for always being such an amazing supportive person uh, Molly Owens a different Molly is uh, one of our Patreon supporters and you can go become one of our Patreon supporters at patreon.com slash dopamine to support the show, future projects, future episodes, um, help me do this for a living, which would be incredible and amazing. And for 2020, I want to do more global effort type of stuff, meaning I want to know what's going on in your country, in your town, in relation to mental health. I've seen a couple of people on YouTube, for example, uh, comment that they're from India and they don't have quite the same access to certain services. So I would love to know stuff like that because then I can sort of learn which topics I might focus on to sort of help 
uh, create a little bit of reframe or do certain research or talk to local psychologists and therapists to get more specific information for you and figure out what it is that you can do. I can't make personal like medication recommendations or anything like that, but I think there is a lot about the human experience that we can work around or reframe or think about over time to allow ourselves to to grow as human beings. And I'm a citizen of the planet. I want to help you. I know that there are some amazing people around the globe that have been listening to this podcast from France to the UK to Canada to Thailand uh, to Nigeria, South Africa, Egypt, I believe, uh, India. There have just been uh, Australia, New Zealand. There are just, uh, I think, Sweden, um, I think Hungary, uh, Norway, perhaps. Uh, just all sorts of amazing, amazing people from all over the world who are listening to this show. And I want to thank you so much. That makes me feel like my words are being heard and that it's actually helping you. And if you want to share some of your thoughts with me, you can hit me up at let's go see note on all the social channels. We also have dopamine channels. So dopamine show and dopamine podcast dopamine show is on Twitter, dopamine podcast everywhere else. And, um, dopamine.life is where our main hub is. You can find out about our classes and courses there. And, um, I would love your support on our YouTube channel as well, youtube.com slash dopamine TV, where I mostly do videos there for INTPs, and I'm going to be posting old podcast episodes and uh, hopefully doing some of those documentary ideas that I was talking about at the top of the show as well. So with that being said, 2020 is going to be a little bit of a different format. Uh, I have some topics sort of laid out that I'm really excited about. I've had some time to think about some things, and I want to focus on uh, you know, a little bit more everyday stuff and focus on creativity, input, process, and output to help you to just kind of relax, be in the present, think about enjoying your life as much as you can, despite these mental health challenges. Uh, it's not every moment of every day that you're experiencing this stuff. Um, there are moments of, of, of good feelings and it's okay for you to appreciate them. And I appreciate you for being a part of this show. Again, patreon.com slash dopamine. That's kind of what I'm focusing on right now. All the links to things are in the description. And with that being said, I appreciate you. Happy New Year. Happy 2020. Let's go out there and do some rad things. Uh, and I'll catch you guys next time. Take care of yourselves and each other. And I'll catch you next time on Dopamine. See ya. This has been a C-Note Media production.